Good morning, Brother John. Hello, Jerry. Yeah, this is your big brother speaking. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? Am I what? Ready? Am I what? Ready? This is your big brother. Whoa. Man, oh, man. Oh, how are we ever going to top that? Uh, it's going to be hard, but I'm willing to try. We're, we're kind of tipping our hand all over the place here. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, what on earth are you wearing? Uh, I have a pair of socks on. I have a uh, Good start. Good start, stocking by the way. cap on. And I have one thing on in between those two. A Clark Street bro shirt. Oh, nice. It. Wow. Hey, look, it's it, hey, it's, it, it's like it's 35 degrees here. It's like resort weather. I don't need any more yeah. that on. Yeah, right. Oh, man, I tell you, John. I don't know what to say about that. Uh, I'll just say this much. Uh, in, tri in my tribute to you, as always, I am simulating my living conditions with your own since as the producer of the show, I have forced you to turn off your heat. Yeah. So you're freezing your your you're freezing your nuts off, which only you can do. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. One of us got one of us. One of us has that covered. Yeah, exactly. And uh, by the way, I don't have it covered. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's real cool. You know, I I didn't sleep much last night, as you know. Sometimes both of us have that. We're about the same sleep wise. We make ideal roommates. So, yeah, I, I didn't get a whole lot of sleep, so I was there for the big 315 treat I get every night, and that is my metabolism seems to go to the basement, and I freeze. And so I, I'm dressed very warmly. I have a hoodie on. I have a long my long sleeve cowboy shirt on. I have the blue Bro Show t-shirt, and uh, I have a blanket and a pair of socks on. That's it. Yeah. Ran out of underwear. Yeah, your your wardrobe's covered. You're fine. I think so. I think so. All good. So, what do we yeah. got in store for today? Come on. This is the music show. Uh, a little yes. change of pace. Yeah, so we decided to shake it up. Shake it up, baby. Yeah. So, yeah, we do. We have that. Let's look forward to. And uh, it's still three segments. Segment one will be our favorite oldie. Segment two will be our favorite Nui. And segment three will be a new national anthem. And we'll talk a little bit about what caused us to kind of come up with these different categories. Uh, Mental illness, that's not yeah. enough. Well, maybe once out of the three categories we can use that. But let's just use that yeah. mental illness card once when it really counts. You're right. Right. Save it. Save it. Keep it secret. Keep it safe. Let's go. Okay, we got the the oldies, oldies? goodies. Oldies. Yeah. Now, let's. What is an oldie, John? Well, I mean, it's all relative, but uh, a lot of I, I consider. As far as we're be, concerned, we're concerned. We're talking fifties, maybe creeping into the fifties. Free Beatles uh, would be an oldie for me. Really? Sorry, I'm See, older I go, than I, you. 
you are. I'm going to give you the old man card. <laughs> See, for me, uh, 50s and 60s. That's what I consider an oldie. I would now, say we're ta- that I We're could, talking rock and roll. rock and roll. And I could, okay. I could easily uh, go through into the, the 60s because there's a lot of good older songs that I do like that are in the 60s. I, uh, I don't know. I just I, I kind of feel more like a purist if I kind of cut it off earlier than that. I okay. Just, I'm a snob. I'm an oldie snob. What can I say? Well, you are a little bit now. Uh, age before beauty. So why don't you go ahead and give us your pick for your favorite oldie? Okay. I'm going to lay this on the line. I'm going to tell you the song and the performer. Uh, Chantilly Lake with a pretty face. And I, we don't need to go any further than that. But the big papa is yeah. Deacon and J.P. Richardson. That's uh, his real name. Yes. I, Giles Perry Richardson, J.P. Richardson. To his good buddies wow. like me, what we refer to as Jape, J-A-P-E. Um, but the fact is, I kind of resonate with this song for a couple of reasons. Number one, it is tightly connected with what I call the day the music died, February 3rd, 1959, when yeah. the airplane crashed. That, uh, you know, there are certain deaths and uh, certain events in your life that kind of stick out. And this one is one that sticks out for me in a, on a musical bend. You know, maybe... Other people, John Lennon, Lennon passing away. Uh, but for me, the first one that I remember is uh, February 3rd, 1959. So, uh, J.P. Richardson, the big papa, was on the mm. tour. And, uh, uh, but to give a, that's sort of where the story ends. Let's kind of talk a little bit about the, the song itself. You know, J.P. Richardson was a disc jockey. He is born and raised in Texas, gravitated, uh, was raised in Beaumont, Texas. And uh, early on, uh, was very good in high school, decided to go to Lamar University in Beaumont, his hometown. And, wow. Uh, was gonna, Texan. Yeah, Texan all the way. And he was I always thought he was Louisiana. Nope. Uh, yes. And he, he then ended up uh, going uh, to school there, was going to get into criminal justice, law, this and that, but very quickly realized he didn't care to do that and took a job at their local radio radio station there, WTRM, and that's where his career starts as a disc jockey. Um, and the fact is that where did we come up with the Big Bopper? Well, there was a promotion that was done whereby uh, the disc jockeys were asked to come up with a kind of a catchy name. And, you know, Bop, what is Bop? bop yeah, what is right. Bop? Bop is a form of music. It could be a dance. It could be, it could actually be used as we, we're kids and we'd say doing something kind of in a casual way. We'll just say we're bopping around or that's or it. Number, yeah. So the, it's got all these, this terminology, but bop was a, a dance that would, and it, it, it's sort of a form of swing with a little yeah. bit more individual, uh, allows you to have a little more individual freedom in terms of your, uh, actual dancing. You know, most of the time you might be holding your partner's hand and doing a swing. Other times you might not be. So it had a lot of freedom. It became quite popular through uh, American Bandstand with the Philly Bop, uh, with Dick Clark. And so he was doing these dance uh, shows. And so that's where J.P. Richardson decided, well, I'm going to become the Big Bop Ball. And sure enough, that started and that took place in 1953. Took a couple years. Uh, in 1955 through 57, he was uh, in the army, two years, 
and then after that, he comes back and wants to get his career started again in, as a disc jockey in Beaumont. Goes back to his job and realizes he needs a, needs a smash event to really get his career back on track. So he ends up doing a, a discathon where he establishes the world record for basically uh, spinning a wax for over 130 hours. Wow. And, um, and then, of course, he, he, it, it, one thing the Big Bopper had, he had a flair for promotion. And so what he did is, of course, he had an ambulance pick him up as soon as this thing was over because he was, it, he was in a state of exhaustion and had to immediately go to the hospital and get, you know, fluids put in this and that. Ooh. So he played it up very, very well. Nice. And so he continues doing that, but he also has a, an interest in the music, but his, his songs and he's composed a lot of songs were mostly talk songs, songs that we would, you know, you didn't have to be much of a, a singer. To sing them, although the big bopper, being a disc jockey, had a, a very low, booming voice, so it fit that kind of uh, a talking style. And so he uh, he decided to do a little bit of recording, and this starts in 1957, 58. And in 1958, he's coming, going to the recording studio in Houston, Texas, driving there, and on a an envelope starts writing out the words to Chantilly Lake. Wow! Recorded in 1958. Uh, and it, it's basically, uh, his sort of homage to, uh, the girl that he is, uh, he, he's pining for, but he's also acting like the cool dude. Like, yeah, trying baby, to. Baby, you, you know what I like. Well, he uh, had a whole thing. He had a whole stage thing he did with this. He did. He had sort of a zoot suit on. Yep. And, and he would. Kind Explain of, to the kids what a zoot suit is, because they don't have any idea. Well, a zoot suit is like a, it's like a, just think of a dress suit that that basically the coat they they made a mistake and made it too long and so yep. rather than maybe stopping halfway down between your waist and your uh your knee it goes practically down to your knee yeah uh, zoot, zoot suit is and i don't have done any flappy sharp yep. corners uh yep. big pants stovepipe pants i guess you'd say right and uh big cuffs so that was a watch his, a chain costume oh yeah yeah then that came from the zoot suit was uh, something mm. that originated during the war, World War II. And so that's what the, the big bopper did. So he, he, uh, actually went, uh, to the recording studio and Chantilly Lace kind of being an afterthought being composed as he's going to the, the recording studio it was supposed to be the B side. The, the A side, I can't believe it. It was a novelty song, a takeoff on another song. Um, it was called the purple people eater meets the witch doctor. <laughs> well, by the way, no. just in all fairness, in all fairness, Purple People Eater and Witch Doctor were great songs. Yeah, it's like, I guess you figure if you combine these two in some way, you're going to have a mega hit. He said he got uh, shit, I mean, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, well, it, 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 the A-side became the B-side. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's where exactly. it rightfully belongs. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, so he wow. ended up uh, uh, recording in 1958 uh, the Chantilly Lace, which caught on right away, it, it rose to the charts, was on for like well over 20 weeks in the, in the 58. I think it went to number six as high as it got, but a very, very popular song. Now, what, what I like about the song is that the song is a very, very, it's a song that you remember the lyrics quite well. You, right. If you ever get stuck in a corner and somebody says, oh, you got, you're next on karaoke, you got to get up there and sing. This is the song you need to know. 
because it doesn't require a lot of singing ability. It's a lot. It's a talk song, and it also doesn't require a lot a large range in in your singing. Yeah, you're so, singing voice. And, I, and, it, and, it, and so what I did is I was in Korea, where karaoke in Korea, where I what I, I was with the Samsung Electronics. I mean, you, you didn't have like a disc jockey. You had a band. A band's playing, and they, you say, "Listen, I want you to play Chantilly Lace." And they start playing Chantilly Lace, and I'm, I'm at it. I'm going strong. So I kind of remembered from that. I remember the day the music died, etc. So what happens is that uh, he continues to do his just jockey thing, but mostly gravitates towards performing, and comes up with a couple other songs. No, no, none as popular as Chantilly Lace. Most people would categorize the Big Bopper as a one-hit wonder. Uh, right. He come up with a follow-up song called "The Big Bopper's Wedding," where he got he got cold feet at the at the altar. Uh, but again, it's sort of, it has a little. It has a little. You know, it, it, all these songs usually have a little flair and a little, uh, you know, tale to them, a story. And yes. So he also is a claim to fame. Before we get to the tragic event of, of February third, uh, he he wrote. He was a close friend as a as he was growing up of George Jones, a well-known oh, yeah. singer. And actually wrote a, a song for him called White Lightning that became one of his hits. Oh, I didn't another, know that. Yes, and that hit actually, that song was recorded by George Jones within a week of the Big Bopper passing away. And George had so much remorse that, you know, in those days you would, if you were really suffering, you would drink your sorrows away. He tried to at least. So he went uh, to the recording studio to record this. Uh, pretty well plastered, uh, George. And, uh, and, and, and actually they, it, they did 80 takes of the song and it just kept getting worse and worse. And finally they gave up and said, he only missed one word in the first time he did it. Let's just use that one. Wow. <laughs> well, that's another story. The other thing Jeez. that he did, there, there was another song the Big Bopper composed that became very popular after he passed away. And that was Running Bear. Running Bear. I by, like that uh, song. By, yeah, Johnny Preston. And it's kind of a tragic song because yeah, it it's is. a song about a, 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 about a Indian, Running Bear, who has his girlfriend, Princess, I forget her last name, White Cloud or something like that, who's yep. on the other side of the river. And they both want to meet each other. So what do they do? They swim to the, the, the middle of the river and then drown. Yeah. Wow. So it's got, a, it's got a kind of, a sense of yeah, reality. tragic, tragic, and um, so that that's that's probably another claim to fame. So he he's written three very very, you know, big time hits: a uh, one for George Jones, uh, White Lightning, uh, Running Bear, and of course Chantilly Lace. So what does this lead up to? Well, back in uh, in in the early part of 1959, there was a thing called the Winter uh, Dance Party Tour that Buddy Holly pulled together. Uh, that included Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, the Big Bopper, and Deanna the Belmont was part of this tour too. And Waylon Jennings was part of the backup uh, group. The Crickets had, had he had he had broken away from the Crickets. Buddy Holly had. Yes, he so, had by then. So he Waylon Jennings was uh, was a part of the uh, the backup uh, group, the guitar, wow. et cetera, that was there, and uh, they had just finished. They were about halfway through the tour. Uh, that it started in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, was bouncing around the Midwest. So they were in uh, in Iowa, in that's right, city Iowa. 
nascent city Iowa is actually the closest town in a uh, a, a, a surf the surf ballroom, which is since then that it was the last performance of Buddy Holly. It's sort of by become an institution, and it's, it's a big deal where there's quite often rock and roll revivals done there. Yep. They're, gonna, they're actually going to go up to uh, go up to uh, South Dakota more. Actually, no, they're going to Minnesota. They're going to go to Moorhead, and for some reason, it's just damn full. It's February third, and everybody's freezing their ass. And they're they're actually, you, you, we would think right now the big buses we see with these rock and roll uh, performers, but they were using a school bus. <laughs> basically make these tours and it wow. quite often the heat wasn't working etc buddy holly says look i'm not going to do this i'm going to i'm going to charter a plane and so there was places for i think four people to sit in the plane buddy holly richie valens big bopper and one of the backup group were the uh of the of holly's uh backup group went on the plane and wow. what's kind of sad about it is that Richie Valens and Waylon Jennings were going back and forth as to who was going to be the fourth. And yep. I guess they flipped the coin or something. Uh, and uh, Richie Valens won. And it's kind of a, a, a very sad story because Waylon Jennings says, Oh, you know, I got to be on this damn, damn bus. I hope your plane crashes, was the last thing he said to Richie Valens, which is something that haunted him, haunted him yeah. the rest of his life. Yep. So we all know. I think the the interesting thing about it is when I finish this up is that is that the uh, is that here it's February third. You would think, well, the tour stopped. It didn't stop. They were halfway through the tour. They continued it with the remaining. You had Dion and the Belmonts. You got Waylon Jennings going in and now singing the Buddy Holly part of it. And here's wow. a musical career. A musical career starts because of this. Tragedy. There was a, yeah. a young, yeah, this tragedy because of a young singer, only 16 years old, by the name of Bobby V, was was born and raised in Fargo, North Dakota, which is just <laughs> right across from Moorhead. So him and his group actually come in and substitute and perform along with. And you know, if you ever heard Bobby V sing, he's he's paying homage to Buddy Holly. Yes, so his songs uh, are quite often have that. Sort of Holly esque uh, thing to it, you know what I call the hiccup school of singing. I know? love that term. Like you, yeah, I, I love that, John. I've used I've used that. My brother told me this was the hiccup school. Yeah, I did that the first time that I repeated it, but after that, I just took it on. Hey, 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 hey. You know, piggy stew. So yeah. Oh well, so, well, um, well, well, pretty, right. pretty, pretty, pretty. Yeah. <laughs> mm, that's good stuff. It's the so basis of rap. It's a basis, a basis yeah. of rap and hip hop. Hey, you know, you know what? Maybe Chantilly Lace is part of the equation too. What the hell? I think so. so uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, the it, best it, thing it, about Chantilly Lace, in my opinion, is the show. I loved watching him do that, and he loved doing it. Yeah, I mean, you hello, know, the fact baby. Is, here is a man who's uh, who probably wouldn't be high on the list when it comes to talent, but when it comes no. to enthusiasm and what he put into a show in terms of the energy. And it was thought out, John. It was a well yeah. thought out show. He was a promotional type guy all the way. He's a genius, he yeah, absolutely. Very well. In fact, he came up with this idea of of actually that you know what I'm going to have on jukeboxes. I'm going to invent something where we can actually, when you put the music in, you can actually see a video at the top of it that uh, that shows the person performing the song. Now, this is back. Huh. He's thinking this late fifties, and of wow. course this. 
requires one to think about, you know, recording video, all kinds of things like are way, way into the future. Cinescope or something? Is, yeah, yeah. And there were, there was, there were other, uh, there were variations on this. There was no, yeah, earlier. there was no standard. There's no standard. Yeah. yeah. Wow, John. So that's, that's, I did. that's my song. Dude, I, I didn't know 85, I didn't know 80% of that. Probably, uh, uh, probably, uh, most of what, of that you really didn't care about. No, but that's, uh, uh, that's not true. Always, we're, it's not true. Know, we're very interested in, in our old rock and roll, hopefully. Yeah. Is. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, uh, you introduced me to rock and roll. Okay. You did. At the hop. At the hop. Yeah, you, in fact, you even knew ahead. how to dance the hop, which well, was not easy to dance. Okay, first thing that when, when we were kids, when I was a kid, during, and you're like in sixth and seventh grade, during lunchtime, you would spin the wax and dance. I mean, you're just girls. There'd be a bunch of girls, a bunch of guys. We're just kids. And we'd go wow. and we'd do, we'd do the bop. The bop is a, just a swing a variation. Of swing. Yeah. The other thing is that I, one of my first songs, I bought an album, a Ricky Nelson album. And what That's the right. song was featured on it was Bebop, Baby, Bebop, 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 Yeah. Lua or Bebop, No, no, Bebop, Baby. No. That's another song. Bebop, Lua ah. is a Gene Vincent song. I like I like the bop songs. The bop songs. There's a lot of them that had bop in them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm glad They're to rhythmic. hear that I was a a um, a positive. You know that little part of your life that has a positive spin to it. Oh, Danny and the I'm Juniors at the Hop. Rock and roll yeah. is here to stay. It will never die. It was meant to be that way. Though I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, the old Philly. That those Philly groups were the greatest. Oh, the Philly groups, but the, the arpeggios they do were just great. But they did it on every song, so two hit. Yeah, wonder. it's like we listen to it at the hop, and then, then Dick Clark says, "Now we got a new one, a new song by Danny and the Juniors. It's the same melody, and it's yes, a lyric called Rock and Roll is Here to Stay." Well, I have to say, I like the lyrics better of Rock and Roll is Here to Stay. Yeah, you know, at the hop was great for the hop, you know, which was yeah. yeah. Wasn't that the first name of American Bandstand or something? Nah, well, maybe not. Yeah, I. You know what? There, there was a. a you know, the there was an Bandstand, early name. There's another story we could tell the history of the American Bandstand. Yeah, that's a whole different thing. Actually, that was yeah. our. What was that? That's our MTV kind of. Yeah, right. I mean, you you would come home at four o'clock in the afternoon. The, 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 you know, the Bandstand. You know, uh, younger people remember it, and we're talking people in their sixties. Remember it as just a Saturday afternoon show from Los, Los Angeles. The real bandstand that we know about originated Philly. from Philadelphia, and you come home from school, and it's on at 4 o'clock every weekday. Oh, man, that was the best. I really liked it. It was much better than the Mouseketeers. So you would see the, 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 the dances, the stroll, the pop, all oh. these dances. You could watch the Philly guys. There was a Philly version of, like I said, Philly. pop. And, yeah, Philly had a. They were big on making a making a big strong line, mm-hmm. the Madison and all that kind of crap. So hey, yeah. come on, let's let's get yeah. down to your song. I know I know you're not going to come up with this one as good. All right, as mine. I mean you were so big ba- right. yesterday. You wouldn't even tell me because he was just shaking in his boots saying, "I don't know what I'm going to do now." Okay, let's I go. know you're my big brother, so you know you're gonna you, you're you gonna rule let, in this area. You should let me go last, the best for last. But you, you asked me to do this. Go ahead, well, let's hear your song. Okay, so. By way of background, oh, what 
Well, you know, this will frustrate you if I do too much background. So I'm just going to say my song, and then I'll do the background. How's that? that? Yeah, that's what I did. You can follow my lead. All right. My song is I Want to Hold Your Hand by the Beatles. I Want to Hold Your Hand. Okay, 1964, okay. I think. Uh, well, we'll get into that in a minute. Okay. This song, uh, now, it, performed by the Beatles. Now, the funny thing about this song is that it's hard to sing. If you try to sing I Want to Hold Your Hand, it's going to sound like crap simply because two people sang that song, not one. And you will have to make a choice as you sing it which part you're going to sing. And no matter what part you choose, it's not going to sound right. So to me, it's kind of amazing as a musician that this was such a big deal. But let's do a little background, shall we? Why not? Uh, I grew up, I was, a, I was a percussionist at this time, and I grew up with a, a heavy tradition of oompa music, uh, some, a little bit of jazz, like St. Louis blues, and a few things like that. A lot of Dixieland. I love the Dukes of Dixieland. And so I would try to play rock and roll, and I would never quite get it right. In fact, you know, before the Beatles came along, I played in a, a couple rock and roll bands, and it was not really that good. I, I got hectored almost the whole time. I, I tried to play drums for JC and the Apostles, which is, is as irreverent as it sounds. And I just didn't quite have it. And they never called me anything. Well, Clay uh, never called me. He, he's JC. He never called me anything other than drummer. He never used my name, ever. So this, this, this goes into the story. So now here I am. I'm limping along. Uh, making pretty good grades. Uh, I can't, I, I just barely broke five feet of height by the time I was a freshman. And so I'm really limping along, making good grades, uh, uh, you know, totally at sea. Not really, I didn't hit my stride, John. As a musician, I didn't hit my stride socially. A lot of things just weren't clicking. So now it's 1963. It's November 22nd your birthday. The next day is my birthday. And on your birthday in 1963, the president of the United States gets shot. And that was a shock. And we didn't know what to do. It's our birthday. Are we supposed to be happy? Or can we be happy? I got got some weights for my birthday. I just lifted weights the whole time for the whole week. You did. Oh, I became muscle bound in a heartbeat. It was scary. So, and you would you would do that, watch TV, listen to music, and between reps, eat some grapes. I remember that distinctly. You were a multitasker from an early age. In any case, we're off now on another subject. But that's the climate, 1963, November 22nd, deep and dark. Little did we know, in London, England, a group from Liverpool called The Beatles was a huge hit all over the United Kingdom. We saw one little clip around this time, a little before uh, November 22nd. We saw a little clip on Jack Parr of him more or less making fun of the Beatles. And can you believe this? Look at these guys. You know, oh, listen Floppy to this hysteria. Hair. Yeah, it was Beatlemania in the UK at that time. So the brain trust of Brian Epstein, the manager of the Beatles, and the two main writers, Lennon and McCartney, uh, they were all tasked with breaking through to the American market. 
and they were tasked with writing a song that would be a big American hit. And on the 29th of November, they had their song done. But at the time Kennedy got shot, they were in Jane Asher's basement composing the song Nose to Nose, it's described as. John Lennon had a serious nose, so that was something. And they would sit at a piano and compose totally like every bar of the damn song. And they came up with, I want to hold your hand. And November 29th, they had it recorded. It was done. And so from that point forward, the plan was we've got to get this into the United States. It took until 1964 early for it to happen. And it was exactly what we needed. It really lifted everyone's spirits. It gave us a whole new interpretation of rock and roll. And as a musician, if it wasn't for this song, I would have never figured out how to play rock and roll. Because when you watch Ringo Starr play the drums, it's like watching a car go down the street with only the frame and the engine and the steering mechanism. There's no fenders, there's no hood, there's no trunk. You can see everything working. That's how he played drums. There was no mystery to it. He was very simple and straightforward. He couldn't even do a drum roll. He was not a brute, though. He had some finesse. He had a jazz background. He played with Rory Storm and the Hurricanes and all kinds of, which is, you know, not a hard rock band by any means. And so he came on with the Beatles around this time they had their, their success, a little before, actually, 1962. They had a drummer, Pete Best, yeah. but... Yeah, he was kind of a James Dean kind of guy, and he didn't really fit with their new image that they acquired in, in Germany, in Hamburg, where they really became a band, uh, uh, thanks to plenty of drugs and beer and women, uh, and nonstop shows. They played so much music, and they had to constantly entertain the crowd. Otherwise, they would have gotten hit by beer bottles. So, And they played in the stripper uh, district of uh, Hamburg, the Reeperbahn. So these guys were like, Fire tested. I mean, yeah. you know, that's battle, that's battle what, tested. That's it. Battle tested. And, you know, that was the rule of thumb. Even when I was still a musician, it was, well, can you play this song when you're, when you're totally drunk or totally stoned? Yes. Okay. Well, then you know the song. And that was kind of like their standard too. And it works. So they were ready to go. Uh, they could sing a song even without being able to hear themselves, which was fortunate. Because by the time Beatlemania hit and they came here, I don't think they hardly ever heard a note they sang or, or a note they played. They were doing it all from memory. And luckily, they had done all that work together in Germany, and they were really in sync. If you listen to recordings of those songs, it is a miracle that they sound so good. But they do sound good. And this song, I Want to Hold Your Hand, the, the lyrics seem almost inane. But you'll find, if you really look at all the early songs they did, Lennon himself says, everyone's looking for meaning in our recent songs. He said, in the late songs, he said, it's the early ones that are totally filthy. We snuck all kinds of stuff in there. You know, you know, I can't, my love, I can't hide. Well, guess what that is? You know, and all kinds of, and he just went through the whole thing. And so there was a lot of hidden meaning in, in the lyrics of that song. Uh, also, uh, they did something musically that was very interesting. The drum part was really good. Uh, I love that. Uh, his use of the toms and the cymbals and that just the really straightforward 
uh, not sophisticated playing and stuff like that. His use of a hi-hat, I'd never seen anyone play a hi-hat like that, although people had played a hi-hat like that. But uh, he had a real economy of motion, and, and Ringo, Richard Starkey, he was actually left-handed. So he had to play the drums right-handed because, I don't know, that's just the way he did it. So he had difficulty sometimes going around the drums, they call it, when you do fills. And so his fills were totally different than everybody else's. And, and they're also kind of primitive. And uh, he had a real jungle thing going on with uh, those, those. And he would hit the same drum, hit the same note on the same drum with two sticks, which I'd never seen. I was a jazz and a Dixieland drummer. I'd never seen that. So he did a lot of that in this song. The other thing is that uh, uh, later in high school, I actually learned to play guitar and bass. So uh, I really studied these songs. The use of that, that opening uh, C and D that they played, dun-dun-dun, is a really great intro, and it's a real crowd-pleaser, and it gets everybody screaming and on their feet. It's the perfect concert song, but it was also, the way they recorded it, uh, George Martin's kind of a genius, uh, the way they recorded it, that's, I think, the best recorded song I had heard since Louie Louie. And we all know the story with Louie Louie. You know, the way they did that was they made those guys perform that song with the mic uh, 15 feet above them hanging from the ceiling. It was all well, room you, noise. I'll tell you, the, the thing is, when you, when, you, when you take a look at the Beatles, I think the thing that really, uh, that song, you know, really hit, them, hit it off. And then what they could do is they actually had a bunch of music they had recorded before that. So all of a sudden, Love Me Do and all these other songs that they had done before that. Became they had already done. And they and so they all of a sudden they've got like the top ten they've got six songs on it something like that. But yeah. to me, I look at the roots. Uh, you know, they 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 have a strong rock and roll uh, roots background. They 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 pay homage to Chuck Berry, Little Richard, uh, Buddy Holly. You know, the, Buddy Holly. Mm, uh, they love these, Buddy Holly. They they sort of put these together. They covered some of these songs early on, like Long Tall Sally, with uh with Little Richard. So you see, you know, they've got a strong uh, background, and then what they'll do is what I fascinates me is that they're just the opposite of Danny and the Juniors. It seems like every even the earlier songs, all of them were a little bit different, and then all of a sudden they just went off the charts in terms of the the music that they did. And quite often, what happens is the Beatles from the beginning we quite we forget about because we remember the Beatles towards the end. And uh, not me. How? Yeah, I don't. Yeah. It's all good to me. But, you know, and the other thing is, because some of their music at the end was a little bit, you know, it was, it was produced. It was a studio, it's studio music. Yep. It's hard to replicate uh, yep. live. So all of a sudden, the Beatles get a reputation of not being a good performing band. In other words, they're not good in concert. Because, right. But the bottom line is, as you've described them, these guys were, were incredibly good uh, yes. live. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in fact, as individual musicians, you know, a couple of them have taken some pretty bad raps. People would, you know, criticize that uh, John was just phoning it in on the guitar, and that's not true at all. If you really listen to his guitar playing, uh, he had a lot of nuance and a lot of stuff that people picked up from him and used, and that's the sign of, of you know, like pe people, uh, uh, you know, when I lead sweat lodges and stuff like that, I'm not a great singer, but I inspire other people to sing, and that's kind of what he was. And he really inspired a lot of other people to play rhythm guitar like he played rhythm guitar. And then also Ringo's the same way. Ringo reestablished what drumming is for rock and roll. You saw Keith Moon start to go that way. 
Ginger Baker. Uh, uh, Ginger Baker was a pure heroin addicted jazz drummer. He was not the guy you saw in the cream. It was Ringo that influenced him, and he started holding the, the sticks in a non-jazz, non-opposing grip. You, he held them like battle battle sticks, and that's what he did. And he he did a lot of uh, same note two drums. You know, he was big on that. He would just go around and smash the hell out of those drums, and much more than even Ringo did. And at the time, people thought Ringo was an animal, you know, the way he played the drums. But when you see the people who've come after him, you know, they took it to new levels, going left and right on the road he was already on. So he was a huge influence, and he is still touring to this day every year. And he is in better shape than he was when he was 40, and he's in his 70s. And he's people one, love actually, Ringo. He's kept himself in really good shape. He kind of rags on uh, Paul McCartney. Yeah. Uh, about the fact that Paul kind of leads a little bit more loose life. And, yes, he does. Although he's, he's, he's full, yeah, he, uh, Paul's a great guy, the way he's done things. But yeah, you know, we could talk about the Beatles forever. And, and I mean, they're. Uh, they're yeah, we actually, don't want to do that. No, well, I will say that. Let, let me give a couple also mentions on this in this area. Uh, oh, okay. One is, let's talk about covers. You talked about covers earlier. Their number one cover is, of course, Twist and Shout. Yeah. Uh, Twist and Shout, no one has ever done or will ever do Twist and Shout as well as the Beatles. And, you know, two people uh, really deserve credit for that. That's George Harrison and John Lennon. John Lennon's voice on Twist and Shout is unparalleled. No one can do that. I've watched people try. It's impossible. You can't do it. I don't know how he did it. The real and the other thing is George Harrison. The way he played guitar on that song, he. If you ever listen to studio sessions with the Beatles, their tapes around, you'll hear what George does. Is he's a Chet Atkins guitar player. He has a jazzy style and he loves to syncopate. And also, he likes exotic chords. Obviously, if you listen to his music, yeah. a lot of diminished chords. So yeah, as those a Beatle, two, he gets he gets George yeah. Change when really there is oh, a very accomplished huge, Harrison huge. is a very accomplished musician who if you take a li li listen to some of his songs which are maybe not quite as popular but right. definitely are unique and uh, a, a big contribution to the group. Well, I think it George and, and Ringo are the two guys that said, you know, we don't want to be legends again. We already did that. What we want to do is we want to play well with others. And George Harrison was un an unbelievable friend. You know, uh, you can hear Tom Petty when he was alive talk about him and stuff like that. And it's like if you were George's friend, every time he came to the States and you saw him, he would give you a ukulele, even if he had already given you four, because this one's <laughs> completely different. He loved ukuleles, and he was a great friend. He was always there for you. And uh, he he played in the Traveling Wilburys with, uh, that was a really great group. And, of course, Ringo now does the Ringo Starr All-Star Band. And yeah. people will kill each other to go on that tour with him. Yeah, well, and the fact is that yeah, his skill set is being able to assemble all these great musicians. His son plays with him usually, Zach. Zach, who became the uh, really great drummer, I think, for The Who. He took over after uh, Keith Moon. Uh, died of an overdose and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, that, there's some great stuff there. And his son is really a remarkable drummer, if you listen to him. He took what his dad did and took it on another level, and he's really good, too. So lots of good influences there. But just in closing, this thing with the Beatles and what made them, I think, so unique and why I'm really much more in love with the early Beatles 
up to and including rubber sole and revolver. That revolver is about where I stopped. From that point forward, uh, it just didn't do it for me. And for me, uh, you know, I, the thing that makes them unique, if you're going to strip it all away, is really John Lennon's voice. It's just because there aren't many rock and roll singers who can sing that deep. He could really hit the low notes. But when he tried to hit high notes, it sounded so cool. It was like some of the best rock and roll you could ever hear, like in Twist and Shout, for instance. But when they would get to the part of Twist and Shout where they do the arpeggio, where they go, ah, it's that first ah, that low A that only Lennon can hit. And then they all build on top of it, and it's just incredible. And, you know, uh, Paul McCartney, as well as he performs, and he is really good, and he's by far the best musician in the group, even uh, against George. Uh, he's, a, he's an incredible melody guy. He can write songs uh, left and right. He's really, really good. But I've listened to his concerts and stuff like that, and that's not the Beatles. I'm sorry. Even if he tries to copy him exactly, it never works because he will ne never let anyone who could match John Lennon's voice sing with him. Ego. And the fact that that probably doesn't exist. There's probably no one who can do it. So that's why I like I Want to Hold Your Hand as my pick. Uh, I rest. Well, you, you, oh, yeah. you, you gravitate towards Lennon, I mean. Uh, and I, yep. Yeah, I, we were, you know, it's sort of as like uniqueness. I kind of, yeah, I, I kind of made you, you morphed into baseball like I morphed into the Beatles. You know. Okay. Because I, I didn't have any choice. As Ooh. to you know what I listened to, and of I course, and I enjoyed it. You know, it it got to the point where you hear it enough, and you say, "Wow, this is pretty good stuff." So yeah, I agree with you. Uh, that's a good that's a good selection. Uh, you know, you you did a good job uh, of of picking a song, and I know how much you really appreciate the Beatles. Because well, we I'll, I'll be honest with you, John. I can't. I can no longer relate to the Beatles the way I did even five years ago. I don't get the same electricity and feeling I got. I'm well. My whole talk was reminiscence. Uh, that were my thing is now in the modern era, and, and the, which is what we're, we're going to cover after you do your your pick for the newer well, yeah, newies. Well, I guess we call mine's it. It's going to be pretty short uh, as we as we jump into the second segment here and talk about a, a new song because I'm the kind of guy who kind of left music by the wayside uh, after the '60s. And so I was deep into it. I mean, back in the 60s, I could give you the, not only who uh, sang the songs, I could give you who wrote the songs, I could give you the record label, the label. I could give you the color of the label, I could give you the B-side. Uh, I, I had all this trivia. So as I look at songs now, I look at songs Hold, hold on a second. I forgot. Hold on, John. I hate to interrupt. But I, I remember one thing I meant to mention I never mentioned. The other really weird thing about the Beatles during the era I was describing is their B-sides were hits. Yeah, that's true. They had outstanding... Uh, the, I saw her standing there was the other side of I Want to Hold Your Hand. And they did the same thing with She Loves You. They had a great B-side for that, too. So that was a weird thing as I go, wow, usually I just play the A-side and forget about the B-side when I would put a 45 on and play my drums to it. Huh, not with the Beatles. you got to flip them. Oh, exactly. That's weird. Oh, well, sorry, go ahead. So, taking a look at uh, this, so it's more a song just kind of captures my interest just listening to it, and I quite often don't even know the, the, the performer or anything about it. So, uh, what I decided to do is when, uh, when Jerry posed this uh, segment and said, come up with a, a fairly new song, I kind of put a couple things together, and the song I picked was It's My Life 
by Bon Jovi. And some of the things that made me come up with this was, number one, just a couple of days ago, Bon Jovi, long uh, overdue, was uh, announced to be one of the 2018 inductees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yep. So uh, that, I thought, gee, uh, I've got a couple of their songs I like. So I picked It's My Life, and I think I picked that song uh, primarily because of it, it fits our, our mindset as we live, and it could fit any age group. But here yep. we are, both of us, uh, you know, having cancer. And the song, in some ways, people think is a rather selfish song because it's my life, I'll do what I want to do. But on the other side of it, it, it poses a sense of urgency that, look, do it now, don't wait. Um, you know, you need to, to live your life in what you want to do now as we speak, not looking to planning for the future. Yeah. And so that kind of hit, it struck me. And then I decided, well, I'm going to look a little bit into the group. And believe me, I don't know enough about the, I don't know enough about Bon Jovi to give you five minutes on them. They, they're a group that, uh, this song actually came out in 2000. The band, Bon Jovi, that is, uh, formed and lead singer is John Bon Jovi, who spells his, his stage name is spelled J-O-N, but he's not a real John because his real He's name copying is my brother. Yeah. Well, he's, exactly. He copied me. And uh, the the fact is that his real name is spelled J O H N, which he's is pronounced New- differently too. Well, I'll I'll take your word for it. I'm sorry. I I I don't know how to pronounce my name. Sorry about that. Um, you pronounce it perfectly. <laughs> it's, it's an accident. Believe me. So, um, so 1983 group forms, and they have this this uh, song in 2000. In the interim, I mean, this is considered one of the more popular. Uh, a, a rock and roll group that tours a lot. It's well known. It's, it's had a lot of hit songs. It's gone through a lot of met- metamorphosis in terms of its uh, it, it, the type of music it plays. And the uh, but this song in particular I like because I looked and looked at the lyrics, and it features a line in it that's repeated constantly, where it's it has to do with the fact that. Uh, I, He's going to do it his way, and it it says like taking uh, Frankie, and uh, he did it his way. So what it yeah. does is, it, in a way, it pays homage to Frank Sinatra, which makes a lot of sense because we get two performers born and raised in New Jersey. We also have uh, Bon Jovi's father is Italian, uh, and he uh, and Bon Jovi claims that he, John Bon Jovi claims that he is. Got a lineage. He's got. He's a blood relative of Frank Sinatra. Well, so, and, and, and they're all related. I, yeah, I mean, what the hell? Uh-huh. So that's that. That that's what kind of uh, piqued my interest in it. And you know, like when a, if if I go and somebody gives me uh, like at the Clark Street Alehouse gives me the uh, bartender says, "Look, it's kind of getting drab and put put some tunes on." I will usually pick uh, one of the t- songs. I will pick will be a, a bond will be a Bon Jovi song. Uh, and it's either, and the one I like the best is it, It's My Life. So, uh, yeah, that's that's the reason I picked them. I would, uh, like I said before, you know, they're, they're, they're still out there. They're still performing and doing a great job. And I'm just glad that they were, within the last couple of days, uh, voted into the, into the hall, hall of Fame. So that, you know, here's... In Cleveland. Uh, in Cleveland. In Cleveland. Yeah, which is a great rock and roll city. Uh, I mean, of mm. course, obviously, they, when you decide where to, to put the hall, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, when they decided to do it, they, they had a variety of towns they could pick. 
Philadelphia would have been good. Philadelphia would have been good, but Cleveland, because of Alan Freed, who yes. was supposed to have True. coined the, the, the term, is, is probably that, that, and here's the, 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 I couldn't get the exact wording, but, um, uh, of the, the Frank, Frank Sinatra, uh, connection though, but it's, my heart is like an open highway, like Frankie said, I did it my way. Ooh. And that is in the chorus. So that wow. is, a, that is a, that is a, a line in the song that Tribute. is repeated over and over again. Tribute. Frank Sinatra tribute right in the song. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's a popular song. Uh, and it came out at a time when people were starting to do things their way. Yeah. There's a, yeah, <laughs> yeah I remember seeing an act. It might have been on the Smothers Brothers. They had a great variety show, I thought, where a guy was like, uh, <laughs> lip syncing to that song. And he was like, uh, uh, up on a, a skyscraper where they have the beams, you know, and the riveters and all that stuff. Yeah, and yeah. his lunchbox and his hard hat and everything, I'll do it my way. And as he's singing the song, he's taken uh, his clothes off, and underneath it, he's got lingerie on. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, I hey. thought that was fantastic. I thought that was really a good interpretation of the oh, song. Boy. It was kind of like oh, early Monty we... Python. Early Monty Python. So what do we have in store for your song? Okay. Come on. I, I, you, you've got to finally let me know what it is. Oh, you know, I got an idea. It, it could it be? It could it be a, a, a group that we've heard before recently? Well, this is the sad part about my picks. Both of them are, are very predictable, and this is why it took so long to choose these songs, John. As you know, two days ago I didn't have songs. I was in. You couldn't turmoil. make up your mind. I like so much music. That's my problem. Just, so I had to set my own criteria. And what I decided was what changed my life in a very meaningful way and what was the song that did it. And it part of it was the group also. Uh, did they make a difference? Did they, you know, and are they interesting? Uh, is it the kind of group or band or singer or whatever it is that would lead me to actually study them like you studied the big bopper and, and a lot of other stuff that you know you like to dig into stuff like that i do too we're the same in that regard so yeah of course it's green day but what do you think the song i was is? afraid of that i was afraid of that well, look afraid. I, I, I like... why be afraid i know Except i wasn't it. afraid of your songs you're right okay 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 uh and okay. listen i What's do the song? total respect i mean the what's song? the song yeah, uh, you should know this. I should, because you know what? I've just failed the test. Uh-oh. just failed the test. I'm sorry. Okay, let me explain. Uh, first, I'll say the song, then I'll do the background and the other criteria. The song is Basket Case. Do you have the time to listen to me whine? That one. Okay? Oh, you know what? That's uh -huh. good. That's it one is. of their songs I really, I gravitate to. Yeah, that's a good one. It's perfect for us. And here, that one you can jump to really good. It's a jumper. Yeah, it's a it jumper. jumper. Yeah. It's a jumper. And we know how to jump. So here's the deal. Yeah. Is that, my, I think I've mentioned this before on the show. Joe showed me this song, the video of it, quite a while back. And so after he died, one day I, I, I just said, what was that? You know, I didn't remember the name of the group, didn't remember, remember the name of the song. It took a couple hours to find it on YouTube. Once I did, then I start, uh, I was struck by how good this song is because 
it's played with three instruments, no lead guitar, only rhythm guitar, a bass guitar and a drummer, and only two people are singing on it, but they have outstanding harmony. And ostensibly, it's considered a punk rock song, but it's uncharacteristic for a punk rock song to have such outstanding harmony and to have such a careful, well-thought-out arrangement. And also, it's a brilliant video. If people haven't seen it, go watch the video on YouTube. And the history is pretty interesting. They, they in uh, near Los Angeles, they found uh, uh, no, excuse me, up in the in the Bay Area. They found uh, a lo uh, lower peninsula south of San Francisco. They found, uh, 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 brr, I'm trying not to say insane asylum, but that's what it was. Uh, <laughs> and they found a building that had been abandoned, long abandoned, that its purpose was to house mental patients. And they decided they were going to film the video there. And so they sent a crew in. This is 1994. This is, you know, uh, I believe this is Dookie. This is their second big album. And so they're, they're like, wow, let's clean this place up at least so we can film it. And they did that. And they got it all set up. Uh, and here's the cool part. They, they filmed it in black and white. And then Mike Durnt, the bass player, went back and colorized it. Mm. And the color is meant to be surreal. Because the song is surreal, it's about three mental patients. And what happens is, at the beginning of the song, you hear the general noise of uh, an institution like that, background noise, and then you see them uh, kind of getting this guy into this kind of a, I'd call it almost like a caged area, or if you've ever been in jail, it's the part where you're not in your cell, you know, it's outside, kind of that area. Yeah. And so... Uh, they take this guy out there, and he's kind of got a uh, you know we, uh, institutional clothes on. He's he's kind of thorn, I call it. You know, he's just a kind of a zombie a little bit. And they trot him out there, and then while that's going on, a wheelchair comes in and it gets put in front of a set of drums. And then finally, on a gurney, out comes the bass player Mike Dirt, and he's strapped in, and they unstrap him, and they stand him up. Uh, they put his bass on. It's not on correctly. They have to move his arm around to get him to have the bass on correctly. They do the same thing with Billy, the guitar player. And then all of a sudden, Billy starts singing, and the opening part of that song is him only, he and his guitar, singing what I just sang earlier. And so it's a quite an arrangement. It's a simple song. It doesn't have a ton of chords in it. It's only got a chorus and a, uh, a verse and no bridge. You know. And uh, he starts it out, and then the other guys start coming in. And, you know, at the end of the first verse, Trey Cool, the, the drummer, starts starts really wailing. And he, there's a great drum part on that song, and a great bass part, and outstanding guitar playing by, by uh, Billy. And the whole theme of the thing is fantastic. And the background of it is, at this time, Billy Joe Armstrong was having severe anxiety and panic attacks. And he really did think he was going insane. And that's what this song is all about. And the reason he wrote it, he said, was, at the time, I really thought I was cracking up. And my antidote to that is to write a song about whatever is haunting me and plaguing me. And then once I have the song, I sing the song and I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, uh, let me tell you, you could give me 
you could put a gun to my head and say, I want you to give me the title of one Green Day song, and I would die. Mm. I would know a title of any of them. This song, obviously, I, re I remember hearing in concert. But what yeah. I like about this song is that it, I think it demonstrates Green Day's uh, stay power by the fact that this is a, to me, it, it's a crossover pop song. Uh, yeah. Like crossover yeah. to another. In other words, it does, it, although um, they might have, the, this is a good example of how they could cross uh, over into different music types. And that's what led to them being as, uh, around as long as ever. In addition to the fact, obviously, they have a tremendous following that continues. But there is that, that piece of them that shows their change in music, which is kind of like the Beatles in a way, where you it start is. with one type of music. And then all of a sudden, you're, 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 you've got a Broadway hit, you know, you uh, play. You yeah, know, which they did. Yeah, yeah. and, and so, that I mean, era, that era of their music that you're talking about, Revolution Radio and, and that era, uh, it's, it's American Idiot. That stuff is really, really, really good music and great songs. And, you know, uh, it's stunning, really. And you're right, it's not punk. But Billy Joe said it pretty well. He said, well... I know what people say about us and, and that we're not really a punk band anymore. You know what, though? Uh, you can take us out of punk rock, but you can't take the punk rock out of us. It's still there. And it, you know, it's true. Right. Watch the way they play. Watch their sensibilities. Uh, Mike Durant, the bass player, still plays. Like, you know, he's... he's uh, <laughs> they, they used to... This is kind of a funny story. They used to practice their jumps and their choreography. Billy and... and uh, Mike had a whole thing where they'd jump up at the same time. You can catch videos of this on YouTube. And those guys went at least four feet in the air. They were really athletic. And, of course, they both sustained a lot of injuries doing all this stuff. Mike lost four teeth, broken arm, all kinds of amazing, terrible stuff. But um, just for the record, too, you know what I should probably do I'm th while I'm thinking about it? Some, some important stuff uh, is that the real names of these guys, because you never hear it. Uh, of course, Billy Joe Armstrong, that's his actual name. It's actually spelled like a girl would spell Billy for some reason. His mother was really zonked on, uh, you know, the stuff they used to give women to give birth. And she kind of screwed it up a little bit. But that's his name. And, but, uh, Mike Dirt is an interesting story because, uh, his actual name is Michael Ryan Pritchard. Okay. Okay. Why is he called Mike Dirt? Because he would roam around the halls in high school with Billy, and he would work out bass parts in his head by going dun 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 dun. Obviously, when it came time to give themselves names and and become professional musicians, he became Mike Dirt. <laughs> now the other guy, the drummer, is Trey Cool. How did he get the name Trey Cool? His name is Frank Edwin Wright III, born in Germany. 1972. They're all born in 1972. And he is not their first drummer. He uh, replaced John Kiffmeyer, who every once in a while will sit in with him. And uh, Kiffmeyer wanted to go to college. And Trey Cool barely got through high school. Billy did not graduate from high school. I think Mike's the only one who has a GED. And so uh, these guys more or less kind of grew up together. Mike and Billy definitely did. And so that's kind of, you know, how they, they do their thing. And they're still a therapy group as far as I'm concerned. 
Uh, Billy is still writing songs to get rid of his demons. Uh, and the rest of the guys probably have theirs too. And they're all involved in every song. It's not just all Billy stuff. And so they're, they're pretty versatile, pretty good group. And like you said, John, uh, they're crossing genres. They're doing all kinds of interesting stuff with their music. Uh, and, uh, we, as everybody who listens to the show regularly knows, we went and saw them live at, at Wrigley Field. And they're, they prefer performing live to going in the studio. They consider studio work. They consider, uh, their performances as how they breathe or something, you know, they, <laughs> they, they, Billy Joe is pretty famous for saying, uh, anyone leaving this band is going to leave in a body bag. <laughs> so they're in for the long haul. God knows how long these guys are going to play. And, uh, I think, you know, we'll see. We'll, we'll have to see. And well, it's an odd you, band. You mentioned, they're not, yeah. You, they're not that highly rated, actually. You know, there's, they're in a, I wouldn't say they're an acquired taste, but I'd say if, if you're a marginal, marginalized person by disease, age, loss, gender identity, all kinds of those issues, this is your band. Because Either, they've got they're songs. in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Okay. So, I mean, before they got bon that Bon Jovi day. So, obviously, yeah. they do have a very strong following. And I would say that if the members of the band are getting therapy, such as Billy, Joe, in terms of the, uh, of the music, I think I can only think of one other person that's getting more therapy, and that would be you, who needs it probably more than all those people, all the band members put together. So keep well, on listening absolutely. to this tune, the, the, their music, because God knows you need it even more than they do. Well, this takes the pressure off of you, too. So, uh, off of you also, yeah. I should say, because you two is a bit another band. All right. So, John, uh, we're doing pretty well. I think we're doing pretty well. Let's just check what we're doing here. Uh, we're in an hour. So, I think we're just perfectly set up to discuss our picks for a new national anthem and why we're doing this. Well, it all starts back uh, just a couple of uh, days ago when Russia, it, the Olympic Committee decided that Russia couldn't participate in the 2018 Winter Olympics, but that their individual athletes could participate in. But then these athletes, what are they going to do when they win and they go up and stand there with their gold, silver, bronze medal? What's the music going to be? So, uh, unfortunately, the Olympic, well, the Olympic committee said, look, you're going to have to use the Olympic song. You can't come up with your own walk up music. So it got us to think, you know what? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't the Olympics be a lot better if, if the individuals like that we do have in baseball and these other sports where they can, they can pick their music and obviously it would have to go through some sort of quality control, but still give them a chance to demonstrate their, their individual music taste and it gives them you get a more of a feeling of the person if you know the music they like so with that in mind we decided let's revisit oh, wait 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 there's anthem. another reason too there's Go another ahead. reason tell it tell it tell it sorry the other reason is that a few episodes back we discussed the current american national anthem yeah, and number one i was going to talk about Go ahead. oh i'm sorry i'm sorry john i stepped on your stuff well, okay, you go ahead. Take that, it, John. Well, let's just Take say it. that we did talk no. about the national anthem in the. What's that? <laughs> I was doing a, a Smothers Brothers routine. Take it. Yeah. No. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> no. What do you mean, no? You got to take it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You, 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 without any effort, play the, the. Which one of the Smothers Brothers is it? Tommy? 
They, they, Sorry, the one that I'm always, Tommy, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely Tommy. Oh, God. God, but it's sick. When we did our session on a, our segment on the national anthem, one of the things we pointed out, number one, here we are, a country that's been in existence, 1776. And when did the national anthem actually get officially recognized? 1931, I think it was. 31. In other words, we had, so we had all this time. And why did it take so long? Well, there's a, there are a variety of reasons. One of them the, was that it's hard to sing. Number two, there's been other songs that have been considered for the national anthem. And so what we said, you know what? Maybe it's time that we revisit and come up with a new national anthem. And uh, so what we've done is we've uh, kind of taken a look at it, and you've got your choice. And this is one that Jer Jerry doesn't know mine, and I don't know his. That's uh, correct. So if you want me to, I'm going to, would you like me to give you my song? Yes, yes, I would, John. And also, you know, there's the third verse that I chopped out of the national anthem that, that oh, really disparage, reason, yeah. Yeah, disparage black people. So that's another reason I kind of got on my high horse about this. Yeah, there's uh, if you get down to the the third uh, verse of the song, the uh, national anthem, it, it it it's not it doesn't bode well in terms of race race. Uh, so as relations, result, yeah, relations. So. Yeah, that's something we went through, and that's another good reason, which, uh, of course, my song is going to be God Bless the USA by Lee Greenwood. Oh, my now, God. This song, yeah, that's what, you know what, that's exactly what everybody that I post a song to said. Wait a minute, is he the spirit in the sky guy? No, he's a country and uh -huh. western guy. Lee oh, Greenwood Jesus. is a old-timey, born in 1962. And he is uh, 1942. Take that back. So he's been around the block. But this is a song that's got an interesting background because everybody, it, it, it's become, at one point in our, uh, in, in our history, this song was considered incredibly good because of the times. It, it's a kind of song that's revived itself. It first came out in 1984, but it probably hit its peak during the Gulf War where it was played a lot. Ronald Reagan used it. Uh, you know, in 1984, and then we've got 2001, so it seems to have a way of being revived. This song right now is one of the most unpopular songs that's out, and guess why? Because why? Guess who used it? Donald Trump. That's right. This is the song that he uses. It was his campaign song. That's in sick. Fact, in fact, what he did is he actually used this song and changed the lyrics to say, God bless the USA and Donald Trump in the lyrics that they would sing. What's wow! I hear, I hear, I hear silence. I wonder why. Is your is your mouth uh, open and gaping horror as I describe I'm, all this I'm, to you? I'm afraid it is, but that's okay. You know what, though? You it, uh, from a logic standpoint, it's unassailable. It's what? Unassailable. Your logic is okay. unassailable. Yeah, and you know what? I'm going to play the ultimate card, which you cannot, uh, you know, go against, and that is. This was my wife's favorite song. So I'm going to play right. the dead wife card on you, okay? Shit. Oh, man. I played the dead son card in the last segment, so you're entitled. Yeah. I figure, come on, this is the way i got to come back at you. Because I know yeah. I, I'm li listening to you yeah. talk about Green Day, which, believe me, I respect. I enjoyed uh, it, going to see him play, but it is not exactly what you call my top band in terms of music. Uh, I, know. I I respect the I respect everything they've done, and so in this way, 
you could maybe respect the history and say, man, we ought to crash this song because Donald Trump has done a, you know, done a disservice to it. And I would. No, no, you can't let Donald Trump is a blip. Yeah. This is all going to be over, and we're going to go, hey, remember? Remember when we had an, uh, uh, a reality TV guy in the White House? But the, fa- the fact is that if there's one thing about this song, this is a flag-waving song all the way. Yes, it is. Yes, uh, it is. So as a result, I mean, it, it's, I would call it would be considered over-the-edge over patriotism, and that would probably be the knock on it. But I, I don't know. For some reason, it, 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 it kind of resonates with me. I'm, it's not like I can embrace the song uh and, and say oh this is such so good but i just like the tune and i like its history and my and i've heard it so many times because marge just incredible my what my late wife loved this song so wow. with that in mind i i didn't I know that it. yeah and uh wow so you know the the lee greenwood who wrote the song wrote it uh in Actually, just wrote it in response to. It was a kind of thing where he had—he's a country and western guy who has kind of been on the bubble, you know, had some a lot of music that's hit the charts, but just barely creeped into him, and not had what you call a, a whiz bang hit. But 1984, based upon an airline crash in Korea, you know, just some event that you know it isn't like a a, a monumental event that we can what that we'll remember. Right. He wrote this song. And then it's since then been uh, kind of coupled with, uh, with with more other events, such as, like I said, 2001, Gulf War, et cetera. So when there's a point in time when you maybe need to stand up um, mm-hmm. away from the lyrics and, um, and and be patriotic, this song does seem to, to hit, the, hit the right chord. Uh, so I uh-huh. really don't have much mm-hmm. more to say. Than hit the that. right wow. chord. Hit the right chord. Now, John, some of the criteria... That we criticized the previous national anthem for, that uh, with the new current national anthem you're proposing, number one, is it oh. easy to sing? No, it isn't. It, it's one of these fooler songs, like, like, it's just like the national anthem where you start singing before you realize you're, it. Yeah. That I don't you're care deep where shit. you start it, you're in deep shit because it's, it's going to go beyond your range. And that's quite often what happened with these Beatles songs, too. If I, True. One of my favorites is If I Fell. Uh, oh yeah! It's all of a sudden you start singing it, and before you know it, you say, "Oh, oh I'm in deep doo doo." Yeah, you're host. <laughs> Again, the harmonies, a, the harmonies. One person yeah. doesn't sing that song except for whoa, and you know whatever the middle part he does. Yeah. Oh, I, I was doing but this that, girl. But anyway, again, you get again, the idea. In, yeah, it, and so you know. Yeah. And I didn't. Even, How do you find the melody? <laughs> yeah. It's hidden. <laughs> it's not meant. There is no melody. It's so okay. They're, they're, the All first right, criteria, so this is like which that? you've given, this is like this. yeah. So this is like this. This is a song that you're basically you're you if if you're going to stand up at the ballpark and sing this song, I'm afraid we're in trouble. You're just going to have to listen to somebody sing it. Hey, John, uh, let me ask you a question about it. Is there uh, the other criteria? Is it a solo performance by a singer? I mean, there's instruments around them and all that, but or is oh, it's is a it, solo? It, okay, all right. I think that's yeah. important because that's good. Again. Again, our problem with what I want to hold your hand is you can't sing it very well because it's two people. But now this is just one person singing the melody. So I think that's that part's good. I'm going to give you full marks on that. And I like the theme, and I like the wife card. So okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, yes, I'm going to support you on this song. Well, I'll tell you what. You're a, you're a, the, the supporting group now consists of one person. 
Oh, I'm sure. I have not, I have not, I have, I've run this oh. song by so many people who say, oh. are you kidding? Uh-oh. You got, you, you, no, 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 no. You tell, shared tell this honestly. with the guys at the Ale House, I bet. Did nah, you? I shared it with the Center for Humans and Nature group. Oh, my God. The Ale House I talked a little bit about, and they kind of. Well, these know, are friendly people where you work. That's the best possible crowd you well, could put yeah, this in Well, yeah, I of. mean, they would accept anything. And here they, they yeah. look at me like, no, no. Tell me you didn't pick that song. Okay, well, you will get redeemed by virtue of your relationship with me. Because my pick is excellent. Well, and good, even we need you, balance here. We need some balance. Even you will agree with me once you hear what my pick is. Now, first of all, my song is extremely easy to sing. It doesn't have all that many words. And oh, I just figured wait for out it, what John. you picked. Yeah. I, I figured it, it out. Here it is. Here it is. And it's been battle tested. It's oh, been I, sung oh, God. By it's so obvious. What Take me it, out John? to the ball game. <laughs> now, that, my friend. Is the funniest thing you've ever said. You totally set me up. You, oh, you teed it up and then you whacked me with a big fat boy driver. Oh my God. I can't believe standing. I fell for that. Come on. Oh my God, John. Seventh inning stretch. Come on. This, this is okay. Go ahead. I'm, I'm, you might I knew have you would song. get baseball. I, I told Mary Jane. This is ostensibly about music, but I guarantee you that my brother John will find a way to put baseball into the show, and you just did it. You know what's good about this is you were kind of waiting, waiting, waiting. When's he going to do it? When's he going to do it? When's he going to do it? I thought you actually got the song. I thought you got it. But you were playing me, man. You you were like that, like fishing, you know. You give the fish some line, give the fish some line, you know, let him swim. And then, bam, pull that hook right through his brain. Oh, my God, John. Well, you know what? The bottom line is that the drama that I've created for you Mm. in your song is so immense that there's no way that it's going to be as good as what I've already said. Go for it. You're you're right. You're right. But let's see. Shall we? Shall we see? Because I want you to test this with the people at work. We'll have an A-B test. John's national anthem, Jerry's national anthem. Okay? Is it you agree? I agree. I'm willing to do it. I won't back down, Tom Petty. I won't back down, Tom Petty. I you um you give me give me like a line from the song or something. I'm sorry. I don't I don't know Tom Petty that well. I know it Well, I won't back down. No, I won't back down. You can stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. Hey, okay. baby. There ain't no easy way out. I'll you heard it. this song. Uh, I've heard it, and unfortunately, it's not kind of... When he died, right? when he died <clears throat> in Florida... Just recently. At a collegiate football game, they did a tribute. Only one song. This was it. And when it started, everyone in the stadium stood up, and everyone in the stadium sang, and you should hear it. That, my friend is a national anthem, and it's very American, you know? This is like, uh, and it really relates to his life, you know? He was a scrawny kid from a poor town and a poor family in northern Florida, and 
he saw the birds play and he said, I can do that. Let's do a band. And he got his 12 string Rickenbacker and started to do music and got respect and got everyone else to back down and quit, you know, shoving them around and bullying them. There you go. So it's the American story. I won't back down. This was the song that was sung immediately after 9-11. Okay. Uh, a lot. And it was kind of, it's, you know, it's the, the thing, you know, and it's so easy to sing. It doesn't have a big range. Uh, the words are simple. It's only got, you know, like 15 lines to the whole song. And uh, you, you, should, you watch the YouTube. I think it's University of Florida. It might be the Hurricanes. I don't know. But the people in that stadium are all singing it, and they're all standing up, and they are all pouring their hearts into it. So I think this would make a great national anthem. It's been tested. Already works. It was tested by 9-11. It worked real fine there. And after he died, it was tested in a stadium with 70,000 people. I think that's a pretty good test. I think it's a damn good song. He's an American. It's an American band. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. I won't back down. That's it. Well, I can tell you right now that I you've piqued my interest. I'm sure that I will recognize the song. I'll do a YouTube on it, and then I'll listen to it. Hopefully, I'll find. I will. I'm sure be able to find the 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 version that they they the the, the finally sang it. You know, after his you know death, yeah. all this. Yeah, that. that'd be great. Yeah, you can stand and, me uh, up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. And I will. It's defiant. Uh, and what I'm going to do is I'll listen to this become familiar with it and then i am going to go out and poll the public no my public is, is a b test work is to work and also the clark street ale house mm. and uh okay and um well, is it that okay or you want me to go just with center no no minutes? i'm okay with that i'm okay with that and you know what i what? i'm boldly predicting that you will win because my song is considered really bad right now wow I think it'd make I have a no good, problem with I mean, it. Yeah, I think it'd make a good song. A national anthem, rather. So, uh, hey, we did a good job. We we got done. Uh, we didn't go an hour and a half, but, you know, we went, you know, hour and 17 minutes. So I think we're in good shape. I think yeah, we're I think ready, for the, ready for the outro. And, uh, and ready to watch some football this afternoon because last week's segment, we talked about the bowl season. Well, today is the bowl season begins. So if you want to get you know, your four or five uh, football games in. Uh, Here's the day. Started today. Today is the day you can get started. And I'm, you know, unfortunately, you know, they don't have the toilet bowl. That's the one that should kick it off. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But, totally. You know, you'll get to see a couple. Of, you'll get to see plenty of mediocrity out there today. Uh, Hopefully. The beginning. Of, yeah. That's. Yeah. We, we'd love. We'd Some bad matchups. Yeah. Bad matchups. RPI diffs to, that are wacky. We'd prefer to see a little bit more inferiority, but we'll have to settle for, you know what we can get today. Hey, we'll take what we can get. And look, John, thank you. Good job. And I'll hey. see you tomorrow. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Sounds good. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Bye. Let's go. Hey, ho. Let's go. Hey.